You're listening to Season 7, Episode Number 5 of Strike the Match. In this episode, my guest is Craig Ott. We talk about his latest book, Teaching and Learning Across Cultures, A Guide to Theory and Practice. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Today on Strike the Match, we have a guest with us, a brother that I have known for, for several years. I greatly respect this brother and his, his scholarship and uh, and also just a just a dear friend uh Craig Ott Dr Craig Ott is our guest today on Strike the Match he is a professor of mission and intercultural studies at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School now some of you uh, don't even need an introduction to uh, uh Craig because you you know him you're familiar with his works he has written uh numerous books uh, he's been a guest here on Strike the Match uh, at least once before uh he's edited uh other books as well uh, including one uh on missionary methods with yours truly but today uh we're going to have a conversation about his latest book and and this is a fascinating work uh as you all know I I like to discuss and have conversations with authors when they have innovative uh, resources when they have produced uh, resources that are fresh uh, and that they they basically are filling in a significant gap in the literature that's out there. And so Craig has written this book and I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I've got it in my hands and I'm, I'm looking at about 336 pages. So this is not this is not a lightweight uh, project, but the title of this book, Teaching and Learning Across Cultures, A Guide to Theory and Practice. Uh, very, very important topic for a very uh, significant matter in this day and time. And so, Craig, I'm so thankful that uh, you have given up your time to be with us today. So welcome to Strike the Match. Hey, thank you, J.D., and I'm so glad to be with you and with your listeners. 330 pages. That's not just a weekend project, brother. Uh, I want to commend you on this. This this looks looks really really good. I've looked through it. I've I've skimmed through it. I have. Uh, I just got it just recently, and um, I know it's been a, a significant work in progress for you. Uh, to kind of get us started on thinking about this uh, book that you have have written, could you share a little bit about your journey with us of of just what the Lord was doing in and through your life uh, to to produce this book? I have been teaching a graduate-level course, both in Germany and in, in the States, on teaching across cultures for about the last 25 years. And I've never found a textbook that was w- uh, well-researched and comprehensive that I felt really uh, addressed that need. Uh it seems like a lot of the literature out there is written at a somewhat more popular level that's very readable, but doesn't have a lot of solid research behind it. Uh, others are very specialized niche, or maybe it's only for ESL teachers, or it's just about a very technical aspect of learning. So I felt that I wanted to bring together the best of solid research with a lot of uh, practical application uh, and try and hit that balance. Um, you know, over those many years of teaching this course, I've, I've had every time students writing case studies of their own experience teaching across cultures. Most of my students have had experience uh, across cultures. So 
I've collected up just literally hundreds of of very interesting case studies. So I have my own stories to tell, of course, but but I've been able to integrate a lot of uh, sidebars and and examples from the work of my students. So it's really been a long journey, and I'm very grateful for many students who have helped me learn more about this and uh, put a lot of flesh on the theoretical bones, so to speak. Well, it, just to go back to what you said about the, the case studies, uh, the sidebars, I mean, this this is definitely, for those of you that are listening, this is definitely uh, what I would describe as, as a classic textbook. I do think that this is uh, presently the definitive work on this subject matter and will be for many years to come. I mean, it's it's fantastic the way that it's laid out. It's got tables, it's got charts, it's got diagrams, it's got a lot of, as, as Craig mentioned, a lot of moving from the theory into the practical. And and Craig, I have to admit, I I, I recall seeing a picture of you in, in this book. I can't remember what page it was on, but you were uh, giving out a certificate. <laughs> That's not the most significant page in the book, <clears throat> but yes, What's uh, the, it's the one that I got to draw some, you know, a face <laughs> on, and you know, and add some glasses to you and everything. And well, we all like page two thirteen. Page two thirteen. There we go. <laughs> but no, just just a just an excellent excellent resource uh, on this topic. So so let's do this. I, I'm I'm familiar with the book summary, but of course our listeners uh, they're not aware of this. So. Uh, you know, they got the title "Teaching and Learning Across Cultures," but can you unpack that for us? Can you give us kind of a, a synopsis of of what this book is about? The first few chapters are more introductory on the nature of of culture and living across cultures, and and just some general uh, material on learning styles. There's a lot of rhetoric around learning styles in general. But the bulk of the book is structured around five dimensions of how culture influences teaching and learning. And these dimensions all interface with each other, but uh, those those five dimensions are the cognitive, the way we think, the way we process information, uh, the worldview dimension, which has a lot to do with our motivation and our understanding of what it even means to, to teach or to learn. Mm-hmm. Then there's the social dimension, which is about the relationships between teachers and learners and learners and learners, how formal that should be or how relaxed that should be, uh, the level of authority that a teacher might have, uh, the social dynamics going on in a classroom, trying to get discussion going and the role of shame and uh, even cheating and plagiarism, how social features play into all of that. Mm. The fourth dimension is then media that would be sort of the type of teaching tools we might use, whether that's uh, reading assignments or or practical assignments or drama or use of video and, and uh, illustrative material. And then the final dimension is the environmental uh, dimension, which would be the environment of the institution, the, uh, the social general societal uh, environment, the uh, climate even, or life rhythms. Um, how that affects the whole uh, larger context of of the teaching and learning experience. Yeah, I was just just impressed at just uh, how uh, how you approach this work from a very holistic perspective, de- dealing with all five of these these issues uh, that you did not just focus on one or two, but you you saw it as something comprehensive and and you tried to write this book 
whether someone is applying it to, uh, for example, a traditionally Western context, or maybe if they're serving and doing some training in a majority world co- country. Right. Um, and because, of course, America has become so culturally diverse, we're a country of immigrants and mm-hmm. uh, never has the number of immigrants been greater than now. Um, but also just the variety of situations in which we're teaching. There uh, is informal teaching, frankly, a, a Sunday school class in a church, a mm-hmm. discipleship program. These would be informal or non-formal uh, venues in which we teach, while culture is is there too. And then, of course, then there's the more formal teaching in a school, teaching in a seminary, uh, a university. Um, so there's just a, a whole wide array of contexts, whether it's in the U.S. or abroad, where culture is becoming a, an increasingly great factor in that uh, teaching and learning experience. So who would you say uh, is, the, is the primary audience that you had in mind while you were writing this book? The primary audience would be teachers who are going to usually live in another country or culture that is not their own um, and teaching, typically teaching a group of students who are pretty much from the same culture. So uh, I'm not thinking quite as much about uh, teaching a diverse classroom, say, in the U.S. as much Mm -hmm. as a typical missionary situation where a missionary is going to teach at a school abroad. It could also be ESL, English as a second language teachers, who uh, obviously they're going to all kinds of places uh, to teach English, and usually their students are from a common culture in Indonesia or China, wherever that is. Also development workers. You know, almost... Uh, everybody involved in global missions today is in some kind of a teaching role. So even mm-hmm. the development worker is maybe uh, teaching uh, people how to do uh, better agricultural methods or um, you know how to repair machines or something like that. So so there's such a diversity, and especially with the explosion of cross-cultural, um, uh, excuse me, short-term missionaries where people, mm-hmm. uh, pastors, many pastors, uh, are going abroad to teach for a week or two at a seminary or Bible school or do a workshop at a church abroad, um, and they're walking in totally cold. Uh, so hopefully this book is not only for the long-term cross-cultural teacher, but but especially could be helpful for those who are going for short-term uh, teaching assignments. So so let's, let's play a game for a second. Let's say that I am leaving the States uh, maybe I'm a pastor going into another context, and I'm going to be doing some teaching, some training. Uh, or maybe I am um, I'm moving uh, for a long-term uh, commitment uh, to another another part of the world. Um, I've been trained in the West. I have uh, maybe I have a seminary degree. Uh, I've I've seen teachers model uh, training before me in the classroom. I have personally been the recipient of that. Um, what are what are some maybe some cautions that I need to be aware of uh, if that has been my background that when I arrive in another context that it's it's not as simple as replicating what has been modeled before me. Right. So I think that is the temptation. We tend to teach other people the way that we prefer to be taught or the way we have experienced being taught. So if you went to college or seminary in the U.S., 
then uh, there's a certain tradition about the way we learn our, our unspoken assumptions about the importance of critical thinking or how memorization is somehow superficial and so on. So we have all these spoken and unspoken assumptions about what good teaching is. Now, when you go into another situation, um, <clears throat> the people you're teaching uh, are very likely to have very different expectations and very different ideas about mm. what good teaching is. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a good chance there's going to be a disconnect there. Now, if you're on a very short sort of assignment of one week, well, you know, your, your learners will probably uh, bear with you and they may find it interesting to have somebody who's, who's exotic and different. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, but if you're going to be doing this more often and, uh, or on a longer term situation, you really need to just time out what some of those preferences are of the learners, what their expectations are, even the topics that will be more relevant to them for their ministries or whatever you're teaching them. Um, and uh, that, that takes time. We shouldn't assume anything. And I need to qualify that by saying just because we're uh, being aware of these different expectations and preferences doesn't mean that we have to, uh, to conform to all of those expectations. There is very definitely a place to introduce different kinds of teaching methods than the learners are used to. But you have to go about that in a very thoughtful way uh, and help the learners understand why you're introducing something new or creative. Mm. Is, there, is there any story or, or, or stories that come to mind where maybe you, know, you, you found yourself um, maybe taking something for granted, making an assumption uh, when you went into another context that you could share, maybe a, a situation whereby – uh, you know, you had you had to become a learner uh, of the people, like in the moment, uh, in order to help them grow in their learning. Yes, almost every time. <laughs> <laughs> I figured. I figured that. Um, almost too, everywhere you go, too. you're going to get surprises, <laughs> and and you can can learn something. But I mean, just uh, one the one of the stories I tell in the book. It was my first trip to the Philippines, and so I kind of did my homework and and. And, you know, most of the literature will say, well, Philippines are high power distance. That means they're going to expect a teacher to give a lot of answers. They may not want to have a lot of questions. They may be more shame-oriented, so they may be reluctant to, to discuss things in class and so on. So I kind of went sort of with that in the back of my mind that this could be the situation. Well, I got there. It was the total opposite. These were people <laughs> who were willing to question me. They were willing to discuss. They They were... Uh, it meant almost none of those expectations. Part of that was is that these were mature people. Many of them had been in ministry for many, many years. It was a school where this kind of learning had already been encouraged. But the simple thing is that uh, even though I'd kind of done my homework, you could, that I had to learn on the ground uh, what exactly the situation would be. And, and that kind of thing happens all the time. I, you know, when you were as you were talking, I I remember a story when I uh, when I went to Nicaragua and I was doing some training with with some pastors. Uh, I do not speak Spanish, and so uh, I was working through through a, through a translator, and and he had actually been to the states and uh, received a seminary degree, and was actually a member uh, of our church. And so I met up with him, and uh, we were going to co-teach uh, this training. 
and uh, and he did about half of the training, and of course he did all the interpreting uh, for me, and uh, and then I did about half the training, and I remember I was. I was I was doing a fantastic job. It was the greatest training ever in my eyes. And then um, I said a word, and it was the word accountability. We were talking about uh, the need to uh, think about strategy and put together some accountability partners so that we could hold each other accountable for our, our strategies in the uh, in the days to come that we'd be implementing in our local churches. And when I said the word accountability and and kind of you know did the pause you know to let the um, the translator, you know, uh, you know, translated into Spanish. Uh, there, he paused longer than normal. It broke our rhythm, and then all of a sudden, he started speaking, and and he kept speaking and speaking. And I'm, you know, I'm, at this point, I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> and finally, finally, one of the other English speakers who also speak uh, spoke um, uh, Spanish, he cracks up laughing, and and he says, "There's no word for accountability," and and. I mean, I just remained silent, and for five minutes, uh, these pastors all chimed in, and they were discussing what what is meant by having an accountability partner. And so you're you're right. I mean, it's we've got to be like a, a sponge trying to learn from people. We're going to make those mistakes as as we go. And I and I really appreciate how you you bring the reader along uh, in that journey in this book uh, to prepare them for such things. Well, actually, there's a whole section in the book on working with translators, and I think especially, yeah, yeah. I mean, I do, uh, most of the places I go, I don't speak the local language. Um, so, uh, especially for people coming in who don't know the language, and it's on a, a shorter term sort of teaching assignment, uh, boy, there's a lot of a lot of pitfalls, <laughs> but there's there's also some just pretty basic tips if you just uh, pay attention to them to to alleviate some of that. Uh, mm. but, but it's always going to come up. You'll get surprised by something like that. You talk uh, about teaching and learning styles uh, in this book. So for, for a teacher, uh, why, why is it important to understand teaching and learning styles? First of all, uh, there's a lot of popular rhetoric around teaching styles that I think is very misleading and actually not mm. helpful. Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you'll read some online thing, like if you don't know your child's learning style, this, that's why your child's a failure or something like this. <laughs> and, uh, that's all quite, quite a bit overstated because I believe that for <clears throat> 90% of what goes down under the, the, you know, the title learning style uh, is malleable. It's, it's changeable. People can learn to learn in different ways, uh, what we do have is different preferences and different expectations. So I actually kind of prefer the language of a preference or an expectation. Um, and uh, if we kind of stay with that language, it, it keeps us away from saying, well, you're just, you just don't like to read or you just can't read. That's just not your learning style. And, mm -hmm. and I think that that doesn't help the learner or, or anybody else to talk that way. So it's better to say you might have a preference you don't like to read, Um uh, and we can adapt somewhat to that. But um, so some of that language around learning styles is a little bit tricky. But at the same time, uh, as I said, if, if we step into a situation and we are totally ignoring those preferences, if we're totally ignoring um, those expectations, well, then there is going to be a disconnect. And it could be that the learners are sitting there scratching their head for the first couple of days trying to figure out what you're trying to do. Um, and why you're so odd, and and why you're trying to get them to do 
uh, certain exercises that uh, they're very uncomfortable with. A typical thing, uh, example of this would be class discussion. Um, in most of Western education, we're very big on class discussion because we have a basic convic conviction that says uh, learners learn better when they discover truth for themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, in a lot of cultures, that's not a conviction at all. Right. Uh, who am yeah. I to, to think that I could learn truth on my own? Um, it's, the teacher has learned truth, and it's up to the teacher to tell me that. And for the teacher to ask a, a rhetorical question or a discussion question when the teacher knows the answer, well, that teacher is just being selfish. Why doesn't the teacher just tell us the answer? Mm -hmm. so, so you can see how a disconnect comes there when the Western teacher comes in and wants to do a lot of discussion. People don't want to discuss. Students are uncomfortable with discussion. Um, well, what do you do? Uh, well, I mean, again, in the book, I have some, some tips on that kind of thing. But this is just where those expectations and preferences can, can be a major disconnect and, and everybody gets frustrated in the end. I remember when I was a PhD student and one of the seminars that was um, uh, that was a requirement for the completion of of the PhD program in you know in any uh, area uh, was a seminar on teaching methodology, and I remember uh, we spent some time talking about learning styles, and I, I had never and again I I'm at I'm at the doctoral level at this point in time uh, that had never crossed my mind uh, that. People learn differently. They have different preferences, as you mentioned, and and also educators teach differently. And so, um, I really appreciate what you're doing in this book to 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 try as as you're trying to help the educator assess the if I can use the word students and figure out how to more effectively connect with them. I, I like to look at it this way. <clears throat> that uh, the book is trying to give you more tools for your toolbox. Yeah, that's a good point. Different, different jobs require different kind of tools. Now, imagine you're remodeling your basement, and uh, you've hired a, a trade guy to come in and, and do this, and he walks in, and in his toolbox, all he has is hammers. He's got a ball-peen <laughs> hammer. He's got a claw hammer. He's got a tack hammer, et cetera, et cetera. There's no screwdrivers, no saws, no wrenches, none of the other stuff. It's just all hammers. Well, you would say, you know what? I'm not sure he's the right guy. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, if, if you've got a box full of hammers, every problem is uh, <laughs> has a solution with a hammer. Well, um, that's kind of what we end up doing when we say, well, this is the way I learned or the way I like to learn and like to teach. And, and everybody else is just going to have to go with that. That's kind of like the guy that only has hammers in his toolbox. Mm. That's a good point, and I think that that is a very, uh, you know, convicting uh, statement when when professors, when educators, when teachers hear that that we have to be flexible and we have to be adaptable. Um, that that is um, oftentimes something that we do not want to do. Right, it's uncomfortable. It's unfamiliar to us. Um... But it helps if we can understand the rationale. Just for example, again, in, in uh, a lot of Western teaching, we don't put much value on memorization. There's an assumption that memorization is somehow superficial and people are just sort of uh, uh, mimicking something and, and reciting something they don't really understand. Well, that can happen. Of course it can happen. It happens in a lot of places. But for many people in many cultures, they will tell you, I understand better through memorization. In other words, it's not empty, mm -hmm. mindless, mechanical memorization, but it is memorization sort of like meditating on the Word of God. We talk about that, meditating on Bible verses, that you 
develop a deeper understanding. Mm-hmm. Well, many people see that uh, as a general principle of learning altogether. Um, and so, again, we, we have sort of a prejudice. That's a kind of a worldview issue uh, that somehow memorization is not a useful way to learn. And then that's just a tool we don't even put in our toolbox anymore. So what does the educator do when he or she discovers that uh, in their classroom or in their uh training lab, uh, the cohort they're working with, what happens when he or she discovers that there is a wide range of learning styles? Yeah, and honestly, that's going to be most situations. Um, well, you what? Uh, obviously, you're not going to be able to adapt to each student um, in, in one larger classroom. Right. The, the answer is going to be using a variety of methods. And, uh, and in that way, there's going to be a certain appeal, uh, something there for everybody, um, and then help, help those students expand. Uh, this is something I do emphasize from time to time in the book, help learners expand their toolbox for learning. Mm-hmm. There's a teaching toolbox. Mm-hmm. There's also a learning toolbox. And for many uh, learners, they, they only have a few tools in that box. And so, so I want to help them expand and say, you know, you can learn by memorization or you can learn by critical thinking. Um, So by using a a wide variety of methods and then helping people understand how different teaching methods or learning approaches can be helpful, uh, I think that's that's really the way to go. Yeah, it's just a a creative and fresh way, Craig, to, to approach this, that it's it's not just the educator, the teacher that's having to to be flexible, but we're we're trying to bring the students uh, into that realm of flexibility as well for their own development. Exactly. And uh, so there's a lot of talk these days, and it's important to talk about orality and teaching oral learners. And, and I affirm uh, most of what's being said in that conversation. But at the same time, uh, people, especially spiritual leaders, are going to have to learn how to solve problems that mm-hmm. typically oral methods alone are not very good at um, developing. And so certain problem-solving skills uh, do require often more analytical abilities that, that typically uh, oral methods don't always develop very well. So again, mm-hmm. uh, you have to say, what level of leader are we developing? What are the goals of the teaching? And then begin to figure out what types of teaching approaches will be best for that. And that may mean introducing uh, some new teaching strategies that the learners are not familiar with. But I don't want to start at that point. I want to first understand them and where they're coming from. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that you address uh, early in the book, and, and I've kind of saved this question sort of toward the end, um, is the question, uh, who is a cross-cultural teacher? So when you think about that, that concept, you know, wh- what comes to your mind? What are you, who are you describing as the cross-cultural teacher in this book? That's going to be the person who has moved out of their own home setting or a familiar setting into a teaching situation where the learners are very different from her or him. And um, it may be a different language. They may be from a different country. Uh, They may have just very different backgrounds from that of the teacher. And then that teacher is having to think through how do I best communicate with these learners? How can I reach them? How can I help them achieve the learning goals that we have? And mm-hmm. that will probably mean both of us adapting somewhat. 
as a teacher. Yeah. I'm going to have to be flexible and experiment with some different things perhaps I'm not as familiar with and vice versa. You know, one of the things that, that I would um, add from just my personal experience being in the classroom and, and encountering your book is that I see incredible value to what you're, you're advocating for educators, even even in, for example, a North American context, or you know, particularly in the United States, because I am seeing uh, worldview shifts. Um, I'm seeing uh, learning style shifts uh, right now that 25 years ago um, I was not encountering in the classroom. And so, when I come to your book, you know, it's it's teaching me, it's helping me to be a learner and to to make those adjustments. And so. I would would say there's a huge value to to this book and its application, even within a North American context. Well, um, absolutely. When we we think even, say, in the North American context of so-called digital natives, so people who are, you know, under 30 or uh, have grown up with computers and so on and Internet and social media, and then the the digital immigrants like myself who did not (laughs) grow up with all of that and had (laughs) to learn it in our adult lives or trying to at least, um, you know, right there is is an issue because that relates to all kinds of things. How do we understand mm-hmm. the nature of information? How do we understand, um, you know, our attention, how our attention spans even different and um, on and on and on. So there, there's just so much there. Um, the online learning world, of course, this is, this is changing so rapidly. Uh, I have a chapter in, in the book about remote learning. And culture, how because sometimes we have the attitude, well, you know, if it's online learning, then it's kind of all the same. Well, it's not. Culture still right. is there; didn't go away. Um, and yet, that is changing so rapidly. We everybody, uh, COVID, of course, has accelerated that process. But we've all had to kind of pivot and and adapt and and how learn how we can make this work, not as a compromise, but as a new option. Writing this book. Um... One surprising insight that you received from the Lord. What is something that that the Lord taught you uh, on your your journey when you when you sat down and and started the process of, of putting putting this together? Uh, and by the time you completed it, uh, what what did what did you learn? Just the beauty of human diversity, and don't uh, look condescendingly upon people who have different preferences and expectations and ways of going about learning in other cultures. Just because it's different doesn't mean it's worse. We just assume so much about that our ways are the best ways. And even, well, pedagogy, yes, of course, pedagogy, just pedagogy, right? And so we have so many assumptions like that. Let's value first other traditions, other learning uh, approaches, and then begin to consider about uh, how we can learn from that and and help others expand their approaches. So really just that appreciation and not being quite so arrogant about our, our wonderful Western ways. I, I totally, totally see that in this book. Your your humility along those lines, you know, comes clear, uh clearly across through through the material that's here. Uh and so yeah, what a what a great, great point. Hey, our uh, our guest today on Strike the Match, or I say I should say my guest today on Strike the Match uh, has been Craig Ott. We've been discussing Craig's latest book, Teaching and Learning Across Cultures, A Guide to Theory and Practice. This uh, just recently came out with Baker Academic. 
If you have not had a chance to get this book, you need to add this to your library. If you're doing any kind of, I would say, any kind of training within a North American context, you need to get this, meditate on it, think about how you can contextualize it to your environment. I know that I am doing just that. But definitely, most definitely, as Craig was talking earlier, if you're doing any kind of teaching and training, short-term, mid-term, long-term, in other parts of the world, in majority world contexts, I would definitely, definitely uh, get a copy of this book and begin to work through it. It'll change your perspective on learning. You'll learn a lot about yourself as a learner and as an educator and so Craig has just done an outstanding job. I know I mentioned at the top of the uh, uh, podcast that this is a weighty book, uh, but Craig, uh, as he usually does, he is able, he's a master at able at being able to take that theory, that lofty uh, set of concepts and bring it down to a practical level where we can grasp it and process it and apply it to our lives and our ministries. And so again, check this out, Teaching and Learning Across Cultures. Uh, by Craig Ott. Hey, Craig, thanks so much for being with us today on Strike the Match. It's been an honor having you. My privilege to be with you. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.